So what are we to make of people shaking, falling, laughing, crying when allegedly touched by the Holy Spirit? How do we judge these things? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Oh, we are going to dig into the Word today. And we are going to raise some fascinating questions, and we are not going to shy from controversies because we want to welcome everything God does, everything God sends. We want to reject what the enemy sends. We want to be very cautious about what people do. We want to look to the Lord for wisdom. How do we navigate the waters of the moving of the Spirit, the charismatic gifts, alleged manifestations of the Spirit, outpouring and revival? How do we navigate those waters? This is Michael Brown. As you can see, back in the studio, if you're listening, we should sound exactly the same, but back in our home studio, so doing our proper live stream on YouTube and Facebook. And the phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. I'll tell you in a moment why I'm addressing this today, but I, I want to invite you to call with honest questions. I, I want to invite you to, to ask things that bother you, all right? Now, you may want to ask about a particular ministry or a video you saw, and I might feel at liberty to speak to that specific situation, or if I don't know about it or it's not appropriate, uh, I won't, but feel free to be as specific as you want, Okay. And just don't mention if you're your local church, your home church, if you have a question, be generic there. But if you saw something on TV, Christian TV, or, or saw something on YouTube, and this is public, and you have an honest question, especially about alleged moving of the Spirit and how to discern and how to recognize, please, by all means, call. I'm inviting you to. You, you, you might say, well, Dr. Brown, it's going to sound like I'm being critical of you. That's perfectly fine. You may have questions that others have, and we want to do our best to clarify, all right? On the one hand, many consider me to be, quote, the, the foremost apologist for the charismatic movement today. In, in other words, the best-known voice or the most respected voice. I'm not saying that about myself. <clears throat> I'm saying what others might say uh, in defending the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, so the charismatic Pentecostal movement. At the same time... I'm probably the best-known critic within the movement, having written whole books with titles like Whatever Happened to the Power of God or Playing with Holy Fart. The subtitle of Whatever Happened to the Power of God is Is the Charismatic Church Slain in the Spirit or Down for the Count? That came out in 1991. And I wrote that as a Pentecostal charismatic. Last year, Playing with Holy Fart came out. The subtitle to that, A Wake-Up Call to the Pentecostal Charismatic Church. So on the one hand, I absolutely believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit for today, the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in in signs, wonders, and miracles. I believe that people can be touched and overpowered by the Spirit in many glorious, life-changing ways. And at the same time, I I hate fluff. I I hate bad teaching. I hate manipulation, emotionalism, abusive leadership, and and unaccountable prophecies, and, and on and on and on. All right? It doesn't mean I'm perfectly balanced, but it means that that 
because we're also involved in the culture wars and we're also involved in Jewish apologetics and outreach, and we're also involved in biblical scholarship, that a lot of you who listen, follow me, I say follow in, in the right sense of the word, not some cult-like way, but many of you who listen to me, read what I write, follow me on some level, you're not charismatic, you're not Pentecostal, and for the life of you, you can't understand how I could be involved in certain meetings or work with certain people. Well, there are plenty of people I wouldn't work with under any circumstance, <clears throat> and plenty of people I've reached out to behind the scenes, calling them to account and, and asking them to repent and get things right. You say, who are they? Well, I've reached out to the behind the scenes for a reason. It's behind the scenes, okay? But, but, I, I want you to understand why I believe things are valid and how we look at them scripturally. Because the Word of God is the ultimate guide. Not my feelings, not your feelings, not my experience, not your experience, but the Word of God is our guide. I'm a Word person. You know that. If you know me and follow me, I'm a Word person. My Job commentary comes out late October, early November. In fact, for everyone that will be at the Southern Evangelical Seminary Apologetics Conference in October, all right, this is actually early October, I think, right? Second week of October. Uh, for all of you who, who sign up for that and go there, I'll be bringing a, a plenary session on Job, and we will have advanced copies of the Job commentary. That's when it doesn't officially come out to the next month, but we will have advanced copies there. So I'm, I'm a word person, all right? Wrote a commentary on Jeremiah, contracted in the future to write a commentary on Isaiah. I'm a word person. I, I love the word, as, as hopefully so, so many of you do. The word is our guide, and I know that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And I know that we don't want to go beyond the word. In the famous dictum of Jonathan Edwards, the great philosopher, theologian, and leader in the First Great Awakening in the 1700s, Edwards said, we ought not to limit God where he hath not limited himself. So the Edwards principles were simple that you cannot make an evaluation based on shaking, falling, crying, various things like that, people having trances, etc., simply because the Word of God doesn't tell you to evaluate based on that. Although, he thinks for good reason people might faint or groan or cry in the presence of God or overcome by the Word of God. But he says that doesn't prove anything either way. You have to look at the fruit in the life afterwards. So I bring all this up. Because this, this past week, I was in Pensacola, Florida, and I was participating in a conference called Light the Fire again. And there were well-known leaders, leaders that had been involved in past revival movements, and I was speaking as well. And every night at the end of the night, there was, a, if, if relevant, an altar call for people to get right with God and deal with sin in their lives or get saved. But because many, many people, they're believers and just coming for refreshing, we also laid hands on people every night. And some of this is on video, and I'm laying hands on people, and they're falling to the ground, and some are shaking and, and things like this. And you think, well, how could that be God? How could that be God? And others are watching that saying, wow, praise God, that's powerful. So how do we evaluate these things? I can tell you I felt the Holy Spirit move through me and touch people. People could tell you they felt the Holy Spirit. Someone else could watch and say, I didn't feel the Spirit. Obviously, the feelings are not the test. So the first thing we do, and friends, if you have questions, please call with questions, 866-348-7884, or a relevant testimony. Either way, positive or negative, 
truth. Okay. So I go to the word and I search the scriptures. Does the word of God tell me that I can evaluate whether something is of the spirit or not, whether people fall or shake or groan or cry out or laugh or weep? Can I evaluate based on that? I search the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, and I see zero in the Bible that tells me I can evaluate based on that. All right? Someone could just be emotional. Someone could be copying what they saw other people do. Someone could be under demonic control. Someone could be genuinely touched by the Spirit. And outwardly, you, you might see the same thing. You don't te- the Bible never tells us to test by that. Now, people say, but the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Yes, moral self-control. It, is not, it does not mean that when the message is so convicting that, that you can't help but say, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Brother, where is your self-control? Where is the self-control of the people in July of 1741 when Jonathan Edwards preached in Enfield, Connecticut, his famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and they began to scream and cry out and fall to the ground and grab hold of the, the, the pillars of the building, and, and there were reportedly nail marks and blood as they were scratching the pillars as they were falling to the ground thinking they were sinking into hell and trying to hold on. Where is their self-control? That's not the self-control it's talking about. When you're so overwhelmed with the joy of the Lord, all you can do is shout and praise him and jump and dance and celebrate. It's not lack of self-control. All right, Lack of self-control is, is when you, you know you're supposed to be watching your diet and, and instead you eat four Dunkin' Donuts and, and a gallon of ice cream. Lack of self-control is, is you know God calls you to purity and you spend two hours watching pornography. Lack of self-control is somebody cuts you off in their car and you get angry and you swerve at them cursing and yelling and try to drive them off the road. That's lack of self-control. But was John lacking self-control when Jesus appeared to him in Revelation 1 and he fell down like dead at his feet? Or when Ezekiel collapses in the presence of God in Ezekiel 2? Or Daniel in the presence of the angel in Daniel 10? Were they lacking self-control? No, that's, that's not the issue. Were the, the people in the book of Acts who were crying out, what do we do? What must we do? In, in Acts 2.37, were they lacking in self-control? Were Cornelius and his household, when the Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues, were they lacking in self-control? No, the, self-control is moral discipline, moral self-control. So someone says, Lord, touch me, and now we pray for them, and, and some stand and some fall on their faces and some fall to their knees and some fall to their back and some cry and some are silent and some weep and, and some shake and where does the Bible tell me that that's irregular? It doesn't. Where does the Bible tell me to beware of this? It doesn't. On the flip side, where does the Bible tell me that's the proof of the Spirit? It doesn't. It doesn't prove that's the Spirit. People falling, shaking, crying doesn't prove it's the Spirit, and it could simply be the way different people respond when touched. Just like someone screams when they see a mouse, and someone else is like, hmm, a mouse. What was that, a manifestation of a mouse? No, no, that was how people responded. So, Since the Bible does not tell me to evaluate based on this, I'm going to evaluate based on the fruit that comes. And having prayed for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world for many, many years, and having heard the consistent fruit of people impacted, lives changed, as a result of which... 
They love Jesus more. The Jesus of the Bible, the, the one and only Son of God, God in the flesh, the eternal Son of the Trinity, the Redeemer, the virgin-born Son of God who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and is returning. That Jesus. They are more in love with Jesus. They are more in love with the Word. They turn from sin to holiness, and they have a burden to reach the lost to the point that many of those we laid hands on who were wonderfully touched years ago in the Brownsville Revival had now been on the mission field preaching Jesus and living sacrificially for almost 20 years. Now, praying for them was just part of what happened, but they would say they were refreshed and blessed. So I look at it and say, praise God, God's moving. And plus, I'm not doing it. All I'm doing is laying hands on people in accordance with Scripture, laying hands on them to be touched and filled with the Spirit. That's all I'm doing. I'm not doing the rest, all right? But as I evaluated Scripture, I say, praise God. It's a good tree bearing, bear- bearing good fruit, not a bad tree bearing bad fruit and certainly not a good tree bearing bad fruit or a bad tree bearing good doesn't work like that. All right, your calls when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right, number to call, 866-348-7884. You might say to me, look, I understand what you're saying and the principles, but Paul talks about doing things with a certain order in our public services, that things should be done in order because God is not a God of confusion. So first, when it says God is not a God of confusion, what's the the context? The context is that one prophet's not going to stand up and say, God told me it's going to rain tomorrow. The next prophet said, God told me it's not going to rain tomorrow. And the next prophet said, God didn't tell any of you anything. And then that's confusion. God's obviously not speaking through them. Or four prophets get up and all, all speaking at the same time. So that's confusion. All right. But here's what's fascinating. Here's what's fascinating. In uh, 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, when Paul talks about doing everything decently and in order, the service for most of us would be somewhat scandalous. Because you're talking about a house meeting, really, that's how they were meeting there. So not thousands and thousands of people where this wouldn't be possible. Maybe you've got 15, 20 people in, in, a, in a house, in a room. And he says, this is the right order. One of you has a tongue, one has an interpretation, one has a prophecy, one has a teaching, one has a song. I mean, how many of our meetings are like that? All right. Here, let, let's scroll down. First Corinthians chapter 14. I'll keep scrolling down here. And if you say scrolling down on the radio, we, we've got a text on screen for those watching. Keep going. Keep going. And Paul's giving guidelines about tongues, prophecy. If messages, if everyone's speaking in tongues at the same time, in, in terms of like everyone can hear it, right? You, yeah, just go back a bit. Go, all right, right there. We're good. We're good. So there's a confusion. People are going to think you're mad. There's tongues with interpretation, great, otherwise prophecy. Now, we know at Pentecost, everyone was speaking out at the same time, but then they were speaking different languages, right? So 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what is it then, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So what's so interesting is a lot of people quote this and say, look, things should be done decently in an order, but they're not even charismatic or Pentecostal. I don't mean that as an attack. I'm simply saying that's, that's the order of which Paul speaks. Let the gifts be manifest in an orderly way. From my perspective, in the services in Pensacola and other services, you have worship, you have preaching from the pulpit, you have altar call, then you have prayer time. 
And during the prayer time, God's touching people in various ways. So it's, it's all within certain constraints. And it's interesting that in an environment like that in Pensacola, for years, we saw literally thousands of first-time converts, literally. I, I was talking to one of them down in Pensacola this week, the first week I was in Brownsville in, in 1996. It was, I think, the, the first Saturday in June of 96 that I remember seeing this guy, big, hulky guy, and he had been a drug dealer and a bar bouncer and a violent guy, watched him get wonderfully saved. So he's been following Jesus, loving the Lord, married, kids, doing ministry work, and, and you know, living, living his life for many, many years. And we saw that all the time. So in other words, sinners came in and they were saved left and right in that environment. They, did, they weren't scandalized, and there was order. There was worship, there was preaching, there were, if, if there was prophecy or gifts that was done in a proper way, and then prayer time, people were being touched. And I, I can tell you firsthand, I prayed for people who were skeptics and mockers, but they were there. They stood online for hours to get in. The family brought them. They were there. And by the end of the night, they were gloriously born again, weeping, repenting, getting right with God. That's, that's what I was looking for. Okay, one quick story. I've heard from many people who came to Pensacola. And uh, I'm talking about in the past, in, while I was there in 96 to 2000, and during the Brownsville Revival. And I've heard many testimonies of people who were there. So the meetings were good, but I was expecting more. The, you know, God moved, but I was expecting more. And, and then, and then uh, they left. And when they left, driving in their car, alone on their plane, back in their home, in their church, the Holy Spirit fell on them dramatically. Sometimes with multiple people who were all there at the same time, all left saying the meetings were good, but we expected more. All traveling independently, different parts of the plane, all touched at the same time to get off the plane to say, my God, they're weeping overwhelmed by the Spirit. And, and, and this lasted for years, a fresh touch and love for Jesus in their lives. And God did it like that so that it would be separate from a crowd, separate from anyone touching them so that they would know it was the Holy Spirit. That's one of the great signs of revival, that, that it's outside of the meeting and beyond the meeting. 866 Three, four, truth. In fact, let me just jump straight over here to Minnesota. Deborah, uh, you were at the Light the Fire conference in Pensacola, so please, love to hear your thoughts. Actually, I wasn't at it, but I watched every okay. moment of it. Um, Got it. And, yeah, wish, wish I could have been there. But uh, one thing I want to say is you don't know how many times the camera panned to you when you were not on stage, and I was so impressed. I mean, I know this about you anyhow, but but you were so engaged with the other speakers and, you know, someone like you who's been to so much of this, you know, you could have easily just kind of been, oh, whatever, this is, but no, you were so engaged and I saw such humility and such um, engagement and, and, and that you were so for these other ones, younger ones, older ones, and just so respecting of what God was doing through each person. And then when you got up and spoke, um, you prayed a prayer toward your end or toward the end of your session, and you spoke such words um, of encouragement, um, talking about God's promises and, mm. and and just trying to encourage people. And you said chapter one, chapter two, chapter five might have looked disastrous, <laughs> but uh, but God still can fulfill those promises. And I just want to thank you. This isn't the first time God has used you so powerfully to give me that encouragement when I was ready to just throw in the towel. 
Um, well, so yes, that, that, thank, you thank you for sharing that. Uh, you're very gracious, and, and the Lord is, is wonderful. So thank you for sharing that, and, and may he fulfill his promises to you. May you live to see the promises that God's spoken to you. May you live to see them fulfilled in your own life. God bless you. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Stephen in Atlanta. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Um, you bet. Yes. Yes, sir. So uh, I, I was raised in the uh, uh, Pentecostal movement um, and uh, was in it for a very long time. Um, although I guess I'm more Baptocostal theologically now. But anyways, um, one mm-hmm. of the things in Pentecostalism that was, that, that was usually emphasized was this idea of almost like a uh, different levels of anointing, like it, almost like a tier system, like, oh, this guy's more anointed than the, this Christian or X, Y, Z. And what happened with me was a few years ago, upon careful study, I, I came to reject that notion. I mean, I, I can definitely see in the Old Testament where certain individuals were anointed for a specific purpose. Some were anointed to be prophets, priests, and kings, um, etc. But it seems to me in the New Testament that um, God anoints all believers, um, and so there's not really a tiered system of anointing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and so, I mean, I think the only exception would be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Yes. He would uh-huh. be anointed. So let, let me, so yes, Stephen, would you recognize that God gives different people different gifts? Absolutely. That's, that's right, and that some of the gifts are more public, some more private, some can seem more dynamic, some more behind the scenes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, so I, I think for, for lack of better precision, that's what people were, were saying. And, and yes, we all have an anointing in Jesus as sons and daughters of God. And in his sight, we are 100% equal as sons and daughters. It doesn't mean that leaders don't lead and that as I've been under leadership over the years that I submit to those leaders. That's just position. That's function. But we are equally children of God. And there's a real danger, sir, and you probably saw it in our Pentecostal charismatic circles, that when someone is conspicuously gifted a certain way, that they can almost manipulate others if they're, if they're carnal, or they could take advantage of that. Hey, look, if I just prophesied over you, and I knew your name and your address and what you were dreaming last night, I can also say, and you need to write me a big check. And I, I just sinned grievously against the Holy Spirit, but I used a gift in a manipulative way. In the same way, you might think, well, how can I possibly argue with that man's doctrine when he's, quote, so anointed? Or is this simply a gift on that person? In other words, someone may be gifted with a certain power ministry to set captives free and drive out demons, or someone may be gifted with a certain preaching gift, and their words are like thunder, right? But they're still just an equal in the Lord, and in that sense, we equally have the Spirit. So I think as long as you can recognize the distinctions and that we call it different levels of anointing, or that one's super anointed, it would be better to say that one has this particular unique gift and this one has that particular unique gift rather than, hey, man, I'm more anointed than you. You know, I prayed for people. More people fell over. I'm more anointed than you. It's like, well, maybe yeah, the Lord didn't really, anoint me to do that. Right. It can, yep. it can also get to a point where it's like, well, you know, you want the, the, my anointing. You need to go through what I went through and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I don't think that's right at all. I yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I think that um, 
uh, the, the, you know, uh, we received the, really got, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit and we received it by faith. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not something yes. you earn. <laughs> I don't think you earn, you know, God's giftings. They're, they're given, they're not earned. So. Yeah, in fact, Daniel Kalenda preaching uh, in in the uh, conference, actually, the one night he didn't bring a full message, just said, I feel led to do this. He, he reminded us from Acts 1 and, and Luke 24, 49, that it's the the promise of the of the spirit the promise of the father not the reward of the father so yes we reap what we sow in certain ways in our lives yes god entrusts more to people as we are more faithful to him much is given much is required and if we're faithful with little he'll make us faithful with much and all of that's true at the same time what we have is a gift when god anointed me to preach when god called me to do things it was a gift now i have to walk worthy of that. Yes, yeah, so I think we're in harmony, Stephen. Blessings to you, man. Bapticostal can be pretty good, too. All right, we'll be right back. More calls, a lot more to share. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. You know, something happened this past week that's never happened to me before. I've done a lot of ministry and had the privilege of being in all kinds of meetings, but something happened that never happened before. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Michael Brown, 866-34-TRUTH. You have questions about discerning the spirits and how to know what's from above and what's from below and how to, to test. How do we do that? 866-34-TRUTH. Looking at a comment on Facebook, Frank, it's too bad you never provide a transcript after the broadcast, broadcast for the deaf and hard of hearing. Sir, I would love to. If God provided budget for that and someone could do that, that would be wonderful and awesome. It would be our privilege to reach more people. Right now, it's, it's not a possibility for us. But perhaps someone listening, watching, says, I, I'd like to do that, even if it's one day a week, right, or, or whatever. That would be a blessing to, to many if you felt led to do that. Maybe you've had a family member that was deaf or hard of hearing, and, and you understand the challenges. Uh, you know, people call in. You can't hear that. Maybe you can read my lips pretty well. I don't know if the mustache hurts that, but, but you— obviously, you don't get to hear I'm doing an interview. You don't get to hear the callers and things like that, so— I appreciate those listening who are deaf and hard of hearing to take in what you can. But someone out there says, yeah, I do that. And I'd like to volunteer my services. Great. Wonderful. There's someone else like, what would it cost? I want to support that. Great. That's where it would go. All right. Before I go back to the phones. So I spoke Saturday at the Light the Fire Again conference in Pensacola. And the theme was from my new book, Jezebel's War with America. If you haven't gotten your copy at JezebelsWarWithAmerica.com is the place to go to find out where to order, easiest ways to do it. And if you've gotten the book and been blessed by it, please post a review on Amazon. Even if you didn't buy it on Amazon, please post a review there because it's the most viewed website with books. And it's a great way to tell people, hey, I was blessed by the book. So go to Amazon.com. Of course, you can order it there. But after I preached, uh, I was asked at the conference, would I do a book signing? one day. And and to me, it's an honor to do it. Uh, To me, uh, when I get a book from a colleague and they sign it to me, it it has special meaning. I find it years later, it has meaning. 
And so if, if it can be a blessing, if it means something and it's going to enhance the value of that book to you and maybe even make it more likely for you to read it, I consider it an honor to sign it. I don't feel like I'm the man. I consider it an honor to sign the book. So we, we went out, uh, left others to pray for those that had responded to the altar call and walked around the convention center and sat down to sign books. And there was a long line waiting. You have to understand, as an author, it's very humbling. I see that and I say, oh, God, this is, this is sacred to me, that, that people have this much interest in something I've written and I'm doing my best to, to honor the Lord and be right and true in what I'm writing and speaking. And I, I know that I know that I know if they'll read the book, it'll impact them. I know it. So it's, it's humbling to see that. But I sat to sign books and sign books, literally, not, not an exaggerated number, not evangelistic, but literally sign books for two and a half hours, two and a half hours. Now, that meant it was during right through lunch break. There was a two-hour lunch break. Now, into the next meeting, which means the lights are going down because it's a big convention center. The worship team is coming out. It's, the music's loud because it's filling the convention center. It seats like, I don't know, 9,000 people. And it's now dark. So, what's your name? Ken. Tim? Tim? No, Ten. Ten. Ken? I was literally having people write it on, on the, the white you know, the tablecloth on the, the table, just write it so I can see on the, you know, the, the paper there. And then I had someone next to me holding up a, a, my phone with, uh, with flashlight so I could see what I was signing. So uh, literally, that's how it was done. But what a privilege and joy. And what excites me is a lot of people got a book that I know I was stirred to write. And I'm, I really know as they read it, they're going to be impacted. So remember, if you have the book, you've been blessed by it, please Take a minute, share it, tell a friend, post a picture of you with the book on social media, post a review on Amazon, let others know. That's why I write, so people will get the message and be blessed, edified, helped. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Jerichia in Texas. Hey, buddy. It's good to have an unusual name because I can always welcome you back. There's probably not too many of you. Yes, sir. Can you hear me good? Uh Kind of, as long as you're speaking right in the phone. Yeah. Um, there we hey, go. This is uh, Jerkai. Yeah. Hey, how, how you doing, sir? Good, thanks. Hey, I have a quick question. Um, yeah. About um, basically the conviction of the spirit. Um, so basically, in Titus one nine, it says that we are to refute error, right? And so mm-hmm. when you have ministers or pastors who are teaching and positions of leadership, and yet. They can't even do apologetics, and they'll teach things like the Holy Spirit doesn't convict. In a sense, that's one of the requirements of being an elder. So what, what, what would you say to that? I would say that there are many people functioning as elders who are not pro- or pastors or other public ministries, evangelistic ministries and things, who are not properly grounded in the Word. Now, apologetics is, is not necessarily tied with being grounded in the Word. In other words, apologetics is defense of the faith. And 1 Peter 3.15 tells us that, that we should be ready to have an answer for everyone, right? Ready to have a defense. But that doesn't necessarily mean scientific apologetics or Islamic apologetics or, or apologetics dealing with theodicy and the problem of suffering and, and things like that. It simply means that you can give an answer for what you believe. And to me, the key thing is not necessarily grounded in apologetics, although that's wonderful if that's part of the person's calling and ever increasingly necessary, but grounded in the scriptures. 
having an understanding of the Word of God, and being apt to teach the Word of God. So they must know fundamental doctrines, they must know how to handle Scripture, and it doesn't mean they have to know Hebrew or Greek, doesn't mean they have to go to seminary. I never went to seminary or Bible college, you know, I went to secular universities, etc., uh, but that's the key thing. Are, are they grounded in the word? Uh, are, are they able to teach sound fundamental doctrine? Are they able to, to make disciples through the word? Those would be the requirements. And other things that might be excellent are not necessarily part of their calling, certainly not required by God to be an elder. Now, if you're going to do a certain type of ministry and, and you don't, you're, you, you, Let's say you're doing college out college campus outreach and you don't know anything about apologetics. You probably need to learn some stuff, you know, or you're doing Muslim outreach and you never you never dealt with Muslim apologetics. You need to learn that. But just to be pastoring, leading, serving in different ways, sound doctrine, grounded in the word, apt to teach, along with the other moral requirements, that would satisfy that. All right. Yes, sir. So, like, uh, for instance, like uh, when you have uh, people who basically say um, things like. And the Holy Spirit doesn't convict the sin, it only comforts. But yeah, this man's a pastor. And so, like, how do you discern between the gift of the discerning of spirits versus being able to apologetically refute that person? Got it, got it. Okay, and, and forgive me if, if I answered the wrong question that you were asking something different. Okay, this has nothing to do with discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is, is that demonic spirit or the Holy Spirit, etc., Discerning, there's no discerning of spirits here. This is, doc, this is doctrinal error. The Word of God refutes that. The Word of God refutes that. So that is someone who is teaching an error. Now, the person may be called by God and anointed by God to say serve as a pastor, but they have this area of doctrinal error. And what they need to do is read my hypergrace book, or better yet, just get into the Word even more and, and look at the Greek word for convict in John 16, 8, and then look at how it's used for the rest of the New Testament, including Revelation 3.22 in the context of Revelation 3.19. But having said that, in short, we don't need discerning of spirits there. We're not discerning whether that person is anointed to be a pastor and may be qualified in a thousand other ways. That's an area of doctrinal error and we need to be able to refute that. We need to be able to show them scripturally. I heard apologetically. I'm sorry. I, I read more into it than you were asking. We need to be able to show them scripturally where the error is and show others scripturally where the error is as, as well. And then if the person is teaching more and more and more error, then they're disqualified from being a leader. So, like, oh, in a situation, because, like, I know God called me to be a pastor, and I'm not in full-time ministry or nothing like that. And mm-hmm. so in a situation, because I've learned that, you know, you have to receive correction, right? And I've been yes. corrected a lot of times when I was doctrinally in error, but yet, you know... I've, I've been, correct, I've been corrected correct. over the years more than once. Yes, sir. So when yes. you have leaders who will not receive correction... Right, so here's what, here's what you do. Number one, if it's the pastor of your own church, you're not called to correct the leader. You're called to respectfully ask that leader to examine what they're, what they're teaching. And you respectfully ask them to read my book, Hyper Grace, that deals with this, or look at certain scriptures. If they refuse to, then you say, okay, this is not the place for me. That's a significant error that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of sin. I'll go somewhere else. It's not your calling. You're watching someone teach on television. It's not your calling 
to go correct them. Let God give you your own TV station, your own network to, to speak if that's the case. Otherwise, in your own circle of influence, you can correct that. All right? I mean, you can write to the ministry, and maybe the letter will get to that person. Maybe they'll read it, and maybe they'll have an awakening in their own hearts and lives. But otherwise, in your own circle, you can talk to friends, and they can say, you know, I was watching so-and-so on TV the other day, uh, or listening to someone on radio, and they were saying the Holy Spirit doesn't convict of sin anymore. I don't know what to make of that. And you say, yeah, it's a real serious error. Let's look at what the Word says. So within your circle, you can bring correction, all right? But an elder, you don't correct the elder, you appeal, you ask other elders to address the issue, and if not, and it's a serious issue, then you respectfully leave the church. And if someone said, why did you leave? He said, well, I just differed with someone what the pastor was teaching. You don't try to spark a division and you know, lead a mass exodus. You just honestly say, I, I differed with what was being taught, and I feel it's important that, that I step away from that. And that's the healthy way to do it. All right, thank you for the question. And if I answered extra, I hope that's relevant to someone else as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Sherry in Utah. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, how are you? Doing great, thank you. Um, I wanted to say a couple things. One was, uh, I grew up in a, in a church that was, well, I didn't grow up in it, but when I went to church, it was always non-Pentecostal. It was always mm-hmm. just, you know, very calm and sedate, that kind of thing. And um, it just seems like lately when I'm in church, in the last couple of years, I just get this spirit of weeping Mm. and um it's just been it's been beautiful because it's generally um surrounding the cross whenever Mm. we're talking about jesus and what he did on the cross and so i felt like i i i feel like then this is just like the spirit within me saying you know jesus is so worthy yeah stay right stay right there stay right there are you going to tell sure where's your self-control you shouldn't be weeping and She's weeping about the cross and the beauty of Jesus and the love of God. I say, God probably say, how come everybody else is not weeping? We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back to the line of fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Hey, listen, phone lines have been jammed today. If this is a conversation that you want to continue over this week, maybe the first half of the broadcast tomorrow or Wednesday, if this is really of interest to you to continue, we'll see with phone calls and responses, but I'm very open to continue the conversation if it's helpful. And I want to go to the scriptures again in a moment. But uh, back to Sherry in, in Utah. So Sherry, as you're weeping, it's not like you get overtaken by some outside force that controls no. your will and forces you to weep as much as this is your response when, when the beauty of Jesus and the cross hits you, that all you can do is weep. Is, is that an accurate way of saying yes. it? Which is yes. you know, sa- and very it's sacred. Just like it's, yeah, it's, it's the beautiful thing. And I, and I, and I don't, I, I don't have it all the time, but it's generally, like I said, when we're, when we're singing, worshiping Jesus and his, his work on the cross. But I, I did want to say one thing, and, I, and I've been to some Pentecostal churches and they've made me uncomfortable, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. 
because I feel like even when I'm standing there in worship weeping, I feel like I need to be very careful not to distract in any way the worship mm-hmm. of others or yep. or in any way draw any attention to myself. Because I, I always try to remember, you know, John, who says, like, I must decrease and he must yeah, increase. Yeah, yeah. It's like, Got it. we don't. We don't want to take anything away from, like, if somebody's preaching or if this, you know, if the Spirit is, is moving during the sermon, then God forbid that I would take any right, right. Um, attention away from that. See what I'm saying? And, and I think sometimes when I've been in those services, it just, in, I just feel like the person is, is perhaps, and I, and I don't know their heart, of course, right. but I'm wondering... Are are they wanting some attention to themselves, or are they yeah. really so, wanting so it's, us to? It's a it's a great question. Yes. So so first thing is, it's a great sensitive heart you have and respect for others. That's one thing. Second thing, what may be normal in a Pentecostal service for a bunch of people, you're there at different congregations, seems abnormal to you. So it's like totally normal for them, and no one's distracted by it. But it's distracting for you. That's one possibility. Another possibility is. People are out of order. That's another possibility. Or someone wants to draw attention to themselves. Or God really uses that. I've, I've been in meetings where I remember a Leonard Ravenhill meeting in California with over 4,000 people. And as he was preaching, he said, even now, if God's speaking to you, you, know, you need to cry out to God or repent. And he couldn't finish the message because all over the building, people started falling on their faces and running to the altar and screaming and crying out and weeping. And he, he couldn't do anything because of that. And in other meetings I've been at, just uh, I was teaching a class and we were talking about pro-life issues. And one of the students just got, Dr. Brock, can we pray? And she's next thing sobbing, just started to sob. And then the whole class, everybody sobbing and weeping. And it, it was one of the more sacred things that, that happened in, in this last year, just at a, a time together with students. So yeah, if something's distracting, disruptive, when in Brownsville Revival, if we saw someone like drawing attention to themselves, an usher would just come over and just say, hey, kind of get a grip on yourself. And if you wouldn't, they'd be taken out because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. But sometimes the Holy Spirit's presence is so deep and the conviction is so deep, all we can do is cry out, and that triggers many others crying out, and repentance breaks from it. But thank you. It's, it's a great question. So just quickly, remember John 5 and John 5 that Jesus heals a man who's been crippled 38 years. It's on the Sabbath. So he does it intentionally on the Sabbath. He could have done it any other day. And then he tells the man, pick up your mat. The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, see it. And, and they say, who, who, who told you to carry your mat? All right? Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk. And, and, and what happens? All right? So the Jewish leaders, the Judean leaders, were saying to the man who was healed, it's Shabbat, it's Sabbath. It's not permitted for you to carry your mat. So isn't that wild? Rather than saying, it's a miracle, you've been crippled, my praise God. But by the way, you shouldn't carry that mat because it was a violation of rabbinic tradition about carrying on the Sabbath based on Jeremiah, the 17th chapter and, and prohibition of carrying loads on the Sabbath. So it gets extended to basically carrying, et cetera. And there, I think I've said et cetera three or four times in the program to, today. So it's too many et ceteras, all right, et cetera. <clears throat> so uh, they, they don't see the miracle they see a violation of their tradition. That's what concerns me with hypercriticism. And by the way, there's, no, there's been no hypercriticism in a single call. Zero. No, 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 no. Zero, zero. I'm not saying that. But I've seen people reject what the Holy Spirit's doing because it's different than their expectation or it violates their tradition. That's a problem. That's a problem. 
All right? And that's what we have to be careful about. Well, we don't do it like that in my church. Well, is your church exactly according to Scripture in every way? And, and are you sure that your discernment is accurate? Look, I've been in meetings where two people, godly people, discern the exact opposite. What do you make of that? I, could, I bet I could find every major church in America and, give you, and hear great testimonies and then hear stories from people who left and said it's a horror in there. How do you evaluate it? Not by the stories of one or two, but by evaluating things in terms of what's preached and taught by the word and then the character of the people who've been allegedly touched. What's in, a, in, a, in an overall manner? You look at if you had 100,000 people in your meetings in the last 10 years and, and 90,000 have been wonderfully touched and 5,000, nothing really happened to me, and 5,000 are disgruntled, you say, praise God, God was obviously moving. And people are either disgruntled because their own flesh or because things weren't done perfectly. But you say, praise God, that's good fruit. And a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit like that. I'm talking about fruit of disciples, fruit of Jesus-loving, word-based, people-loving, holy-living disciples. The devil won't produce that, and the flesh can't produce that. Simple biblical principles. Uh, let's go to Janice in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, are you there? Janice, are you there? If so you need to turn yeah, your here. turn your radio down. Yes, go ahead, please. Thank you. Hello. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, please. Hello? Hello, can you hear me? Go ahead and speak. I can hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, this Dr. Brown? Yes. Okay, okay, yes, uh, Yes, I um, I usually run a road show, and my road show was uh, shut down quickly, abruptly, unexpectedly. And so on my way home, I turned the Truth Network on, and I heard you talking about Brownsville worship and the Pentecost, uh, Pentecostal, um, I can't even think right now, the uh, Pepsi-Cola, excuse me, Pentecostal, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Okay, the big revival, uh-huh. and I have family that had attended that specific revival, and they came back, and they had sent me music on a, on a little tape. And I was going through some stuff in my life at that time. Um, and alone in my bedroom, I listened to that tape completely positively alone. And I was worshiping God, and I was grateful um, because I had had God deliver my family from something specific. Uh, and I was just amazed. And so out of my gratefulness, I was worshiping God. And and I had been saved since I was a little girl, but this was different. And he actually filled me from my head to my toe with a very strong presence of the Holy Spirit. It was the most beautiful experience I ever had in my life. I've never forgotten it, um, though Satan has done quite a bit in my life to try to uh, try to make those memories more and more dim and more and more, you know, not as meaningful as they actually yeah, were. Yeah. And so I just want to, first of all, I want to thank you because I have listened to you many times. And I want to thank you for taking the time to speak about what is, you know, what is truth, what is not when it comes to the Pentecostal and charismatic movement. Uh, there was um, some uh, uh, doctrinal uh, stuff that was uh, taught from them to me when I was younger at one point that was, was false doctrine. And then later in life, I, I learned the truth. They learned the truth. Uh, you know, but, yeah, and, and Janice, you're going to, yeah. In my heart. Yeah, and Janice, you're going to have that everywhere when you say the Baptists, the Pentecostals, the Presbyterians, the Methodists. Yeah, you're going to have people that are teaching false doctrine. But are we majoring on the majors? That's the big thing. 
Are we majoring on the majors? Are people coming to the Lord? Are we making disciples? And, you know, the experience that, that you had, the experience that you had uh, being overwhelmed by God's presence, you said filled with, filled with this holy presence from head to toe. When I was first down in, in Brownsville, in, in Pensacola, so Brownsville, just a little neighborhood in Pensacola, and when I was there, the first week I remember driving from where they put me up, friends had put me up, uh, I think a condo on the beach, and driving from there to the meetings each day that I was listening to the worship, and I would get so overcome with God's presence, I was weeping in the car, just overwhelmed by God's love and goodness and joy. And I, I was so overwhelmed that, it, you know, I, I, I had to... You know, it's like with the windshield wipers. Like, how do I, how do I get, how do I get rid of all the tears? Because I was so overwhelmed, and a lot of it was overwhelmed by by joy, by holy presence, and and by love of the Lord. So, Amen. And, and look, this is this is our issue. This is our issue. And thank you for the call. And I apologize. Obviously, can never get to to every call, uh, but we we do our best. And and if you really want to talk about these issues, about the things of the Spirit and testing the spirits and how to evaluate, by all means, let's continue the discussion. And if there's interest, I'll, I'll take calls on this tomorrow as well, and perhaps even the next day. I've also got an important interview with Dr. Richard Land of uh, the second half of the hour on tomorrow's broadcast. You don't want to miss. But quick note, it was just pointed out to me, for those hard of hearing or deaf, if instead of watching on Facebook, you watch on YouTube, you can click to get live captions on YouTube. And this way you can view it on YouTube. Uh, after the show, you can u- uh, view it and you can actually get captions to come up for the broadcast, as I understand it. All right, friends, let me encourage you. Say to the Father, Lord, I want everything you have for me. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And I want it, Lord, for your glory so that Jesus will be lifted up in my life. All right, God bless, friends. Let's keep studying, thinking, praying, and honoring the Lord. <laughs> 